Uh, if you have a Bible in front of you, please join me in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 38 through 42. Thank you for coming to the conference on prayer. My message isn't on prayer. Uh, it's kinda on prayer, uh, but it, it's actually about the posture of heart that one must have to pray. Uh, it's about the decision someone must make before they pray that causes them then to go pray. And that is an evaluation of Jesus um, as the worthy Jesus that he is. And so we're gonna be talking about choosing Jesus uh, which will definitely uh, bear fruit uh, in prayer. Uh, before I, I jump into the text, let me pray, ask God's help. Uh, our Father in heaven, we, we do love Jesus, and we want to love him more. We ask that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Would you grow every person's love for Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. This is God's word. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Uh, sometimes encouraging Christians to be like other Christians gets a bad rap. Uh, and I get that. We don't want to be moralistic. We don't say, hey, be more like Mary. However, the point of my sermon is to be more like Mary. Uh, Mary understood something about Jesus that Jesus wants us to understand about Jesus. And uh, we'll move through this text. I have two main points. One is the necessity of Christ. The other, the quality of Christ. Two things Mary knew well. Two things she knew better than Martha, at least in this particular section. And two things we each can grow in knowing better. Uh, the first point, we'll think about the necessity of Christ. It says, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Uh, so our text begins with Jesus and his entourage entering a village and being welcomed by Sister Martha. Uh, and in verse 39 through 40, we're introduced to kind of two kinds of responses and devotions to Jesus. 
Uh, Martha, we're told, welcomes him. Uh, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Uh, but we have Martha, she was distracted. So Martha welcomed him, but Martha was distracted from him. And so we see here two different kinds of responses and devotions to Jesus. It's important to understand, though, that this is the contrast of two sisters who both love the Lord. This is not a believer and an unbeliever. This is two different ways, two different believers are responding and being devoted to Jesus. It seems clear that Martha and Mary love them some Jesus. Uh, we're told this in verse 38, right? We're told that Martha welcomed him into her house, which we might miss some of the layers of. It didn't simply include caring for his needs, but Jesus rolled with a whole group of grown men. So there was a whole squad of hungry guys uh, that receiving Jesus would have included, and she welcomed him, welcomed him and his disciples, which is why we can appreciate how there was much serving, as it says in verse 40, that welcoming Jesus included. Uh, but also, as it says, uh, Jesus in Luke 9, 48, he says, whoever receives me actually receives him who sent me. So we're not just supposed to think that Martha was just like feeding people. This isn't just a food ministry that she had. Her receiving Jesus says something about her receiving who Jesus came in the name of. Not only is Martha welcoming him, as in that's nice, they have something to eat now. Uh, we're supposed to see a theological reception of Jesus as well. She's receiving him and who he comes in the name of, the God, the Father. Not only did she welcome him, but she, when she did, uh, she, she did so at a time when many did not welcome him. Uh, we're told in 9.53, uh, Jesus was just in the village of the Samaritans, and they left because there was no one there who would welcome them. Uh, a couple chapters later, we find not only were people not welcoming Jesus at this time, but some were even seeking to kill Jesus at this time. Uh, but Martha is not afraid of the threats. She's not fearing anything that's frightening. She's happy to welcome her Lord, feed him, and host him. We even get a clear statement of faith from Martha in John eleven twenty seven. 27. Uh, remember, she says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Again, Martha loved the Lord. And we know that Mary loved the Lord too. Indeed, Mary is known for her love for the Lord. Uh, so in John chapter 12, verse one through eight, you remember that vivid scene of devotion where Mary pours her expensive ointment on the feet of Jesus, wipes his feet with her hair, the very feet that we're told she's sitting at right now in our passage. And we know from the word the only reason that anybody loves the Lord is because he loves them first. And so we shouldn't be surprised when considering these two sisters who love the Lord, we find clear evidence in scripture of his love for them. We're told in John eleven five, 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister. This is not the story of one woman who loved Jesus and another woman who didn't love Jesus. No, this is a story of Two women who love Jesus, but one who in a season is confused about what it means to be devoted to him. One who's clearly confused, and we see one example that's clearly commended uh, by the Lord Jesus himself. There's a kind of love Jesus wants his people to have, and that love is not Martha-like, but Mary-like. We see one sister who's wrongly distracted, one who's rightly devoted, and the question for us uh, brother passes, the question for us fellow saints is, today, this week, in this season of your life, how are you doing 
with your devotion to Jesus? Do you like sitting at his feet? Have you chosen the good portion? Martha welcomed him, but it's Mary who's here rightly worshiping him. I hope everyone in here is in truth walking in passionate pursuit of Christ. Uh, I know distractions very well. I know what it's like to look up and to find my heart drifting downstream from devotion to the one I love most. I know what it's like as a pastor to find yourself caught up in the distractions and separated, distanced from the devotion. I'm used to being the least holy person in the room. I would love for that to yet again be true this morning. I hope everyone in here is attending daily to their prayer closets and regularly enjoying fresh communion with the Lord. That when J.C. Ryle talks about that private habit of hearty prayer, I pray that everybody in here knows what that means. That everyone's being regularly refreshed by their experience of the reviving and sharing and encouraging effects of the word of God. That everyone is regularly seeking the Lord at his throne, getting grace for their times of need. But if there's any in here who's like me, who are given to pride and to self-reliance, if there's any in here who are like Martha, who are tempted to confuse closeness with Jesus because of their activity for Jesus, let us receive correction from the Lord this morning. The psalmist said, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's like oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. And Jesus is the most righteous man. He gives the kindest rebukes. If you got to get rebuked by anybody, you want to get rebuked by Jesus. His rebukes don't break the bruised reed. It doesn't blow out the smoking wick. And in our Luke passage, don't be mistaken, Jesus is laying a rebuke out there. This is a correction. Here in our Luke passage, being wrongly distracted is met by a tender rebuke uh, from the Lord Jesus. And it's not hard to understand why such a distracted devotion would be dis uh, corrected by Christ. In the moment of distracted devotion, it's causing the person who claims to love Jesus most to miss actually being with him. To miss him in a way. We miss time with Jesus. He who our soul loves, we miss out on communing with our beloved. There's an essential affection, there's a crucial conviction that the soul be satisfied and steadfast in devotion to Jesus, that the soul knows that its only source of sustaining is Christ, its only source of abiding joy is Christ, that our all in all be Christ, and someone can say that that's true of them and not do like it's true of them. Here, Martha knows who Jesus is, receives who Jesus is, and yet isn't posturing herself appropriately to who Jesus is. We see the necessity of Christ and being rightly devoted to him. I'm sure that if you gave Martha and Mary a test, you gave it to all of us, we would answer the questions the right way. They would have answered all the questions the same way. Here, when Jesus examines their lives, though, he finds some discontinuity in their lives. One of these sisters claims to know it. The other claims to know it and show it. And look how simple it all is. 
We see the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ lived out in this commendable example. And look what's being done. Verse 39, what does this commendable devotion look like? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. I mean, just saying it slow makes you smile. She was sitting with Jesus and listening to him. And we must see her posture and her pursuit. She's sitting and listening, two things we don't naturally do well. Right? We're goers. We're talkers. But an essential aspect of devotion is sitting and listening, taking time to be holy, as the hymn says. Sitting with Jesus, listening to Jesus. He sat at his feet, which is a position of humility, and she listened to him, revealing her esteem for his words. Martha was trying to serve the plates that would perish. Mary was after the portion that wouldn't. And in a day and age where everyone's very hurried and worried, oh, that there were just more saints who liked to sit down and be with Jesus. We not be able to sit bodily at his feet and listen, but we can go eagerly to his word in here, and we can approach the throne of grace and stay there. We can bring all the cares we have, every single one of them. We can cast them on him, knowing he cares for us, and he's eager to carry all of them. Martha was distracted from devotion, friend, are you? Am I? Uh, one evidence of her distraction is how she responds to a commendable example in her proximity. Rather than be encouraged by her sister's example and seeking to imitate it, she gets irritated by it. I'm out here doing all the work. Right? Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Now, in Martha's mind, Jesus was on her side. Surprise! <laughs> Here is Martha. She's missing the whole point. She's missing the good stuff, Jesus says. Missing the opportunity. She's missing Christ. Martha is mindful that Mary isn't doing something, but she's blind to what she isn't doing. She's complaining her ministry is left attended when she's leaving Jesus, who is the center of ministry unattended. It would seem that it's totally possible to do things about Jesus without Jesus. And this is, a, this is something we frequently all know. This is something that can become a great hardness of heart. We see this in the book of Revelation as Jesus walks through his churches. He says, I know your works. I see you doing stuff. You hate the evil workers. I, I see you but you have abandoned your first love. It's possible to do things about Jesus without Jesus. And notice her excuse, serving. This is one reason I think it's particularly apropos for us. I don't, I'm not trying to argue that you must have a different kind of time in the Word from what you're studying in the sermon, but make sure that the time in the Word is actually devotional. It's possible to read the Bible to teach it to other people, but not read the Bible to listen to Jesus. 
she's distracted with something that shouldn't have been hindering her from coming to Jesus. I have three kids. My youngest kid, we were getting ready to do family devotions. We say, everybody go get your pajamas on, come back upstairs. Our, our two oldest boys, they go upstairs. They come down with their pajamas. My daughter, MIA, we don't know where she's at. Let's give her a couple minutes. 15 minutes later, I'm like, where's Noel at? I go upstairs, doors closed, knock on the door. You're a bunch of feet. I don't know why it always sounds like there's a herd in the room. But she, she opens the door wearing the exact same thing she came upstairs with. Room is in the exact same condition. I said, Noel, what you be doing? Why didn't you put your pajamas on? She said, I couldn't. I said, why? She said, because of this. And she holded up this little twig. It was just small, little, random. It was like a popsicle stick or something. But she said, I, I couldn't because I, I, of this. I was like, what does it have to do with anything? That's, that has nothing to do with getting dressed. Give me that. Get dressed. I mean, this is what excuses sound like to the Lord. I couldn't be with you. I was serving. What does that have to do with being with Jesus? How often do the saints hold up twigs that have nothing to do, does not deal with why we just did not do it? Rather than be like, I just didn't care. I'm just proud. We try to hold up a twig. Friend, put that down. She's like, I couldn't. <laughs> I'm serving. Notice the compassion of Christ, how gentle and kind his rebuke is. The Lord answered, even the way he said, he wasn't a dummy. No, no, no. It's Martha. Martha. You, you said that to somebody. You know when you repeat the name twice. <laughs> it's, it's like Mark. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is, is necessary. What a word. As you reflect on your week, saint, as you look at your schedule, even as you look at how you operated this morning as you woke up to gather with the people of God, would Jesus look at how you're living and say this to you? If Jesus looked over your calendar, if he stayed as a guest in your home, would he bring you this correction as well? Would he say, oh, Christian, Christian, you're anxious and worried about many things, but there's one thing that's necessary. Well, if you're anything like me, then this is just one of those portions of Scripture that seem to regularly and always be applicable. Uh, I'm, I'm so prone to wander. I'm so prone to distraction. I need to be regularly corrected. I need to be regularly recalled to this right devotion. How deeply I need to hear from Jesus on a regular basis, unfortunately. Brian, Brian, yet you're, you're anxious about many things. You're distracted. But there's one thing that's necessary. Though many of us are more like Martha, all of us can be more like Mary. For Jesus commends her example. He, he wants us to take it up. Jesus commends her love. He commends her devotion. For, for in her devotion is a right estimation of Christ. That he is the necessary thing that the soul actually needs. One thing is necessary. Mary got it right. Mary's chosen the good portion. My friend, the question is, are we choosing the good portion? You're doing your math right in this season of life? 
Go sit and be with Jesus to sit with him, to talk to him, to listen to him in his word, to learn from him. I think we see here the the seeds of the two main branches of personal devotion to Christ, right? Prayer and scripture reading, without which no saint thrives. Nobody grows without prayer and scripture reading. Nobody grows without sitting and listening to Jesus. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the immediate context of our passage, what follows this exact scene? Following this text on devotion, what do we bump into? We bump into a discussion where the disciples request that Jesus teach them how to pray. Now, this is what Jesus communicates to his disciples in John 15. I'm about to leave. Stay with me. Remain with me. Abide in me. How do we do that? Is it any surprise that Jesus brings up prayer and engaging the word of God as essential disciplines of remaining with him, of being with him, of abiding in him? That to abide with Jesus is is connected to communing with him. That on these depend our fruitfulness, not just ministerially, but as a Christian. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what Martha was doing? Nothing. You know what we're doing when we're doing serving without Jesus? Nothing. It's not just that you won't try to do something, though. It's not that you won't try to do things in your own flesh. You can write a sermon in your flesh. You can preach a sermon in your flesh. You can go to a prayer meeting in your flesh. The people of God had done that. They've done a lot of acts of worship, but their heart was far from him. It's not that you won't try to do something. Jesus is saying you won't actually be doing anything. We can do things about Jesus without Jesus, and it's nothing. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers are laboring. They're still working. It's just all in vain. Friends, we mustn't let our schedules lie to us. We mustn't allow our pride to lie to us. There is nothing more important in any day we will ever live in in which sitting with the Lord in prayer and in his word is not of necessity. No matter what issues of the day are pressing, and there are many, the interesting thing is we have many pressing issues so that we would come to Jesus. It's that quote that's attributed to Martin Luther. I have so much to do today, I will spend the first three hours in prayer. How often do you hear a pastor talking like that? Unfortunately rare. Many, many things to be anxious and troubled over, but hear it directly from Jesus, there's one thing that's necessary. Many things on your plate, many things to trouble you, many things to burden you, one thing that's actually necessary, seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness, the king himself. Uh, George Mueller says the first and great And primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. And God is kind to let us experience both the benefits and the dangers of when we don't. I mean, you've experienced when you wake up in your right mind and you pray. And you pour over his word. 
You offer up supplications and requests and thanksgiving where you've talked with him and casted your care, cast your cares on him and experienced his care for you. You've experienced that peace of Christ that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That goes above understanding and explanation. And if you haven't noticed, your family certainly has. How after being with Jesus and seeking him as a result of sitting at his feet, there's benefits to choosing the good portion. And on other days, you've also experienced being on your own in a way, right? How apart from him, you can do nothing. Got a really short timber, really short fuse, battling with thoughts without having power to fight them. Not thinking about eternal things, not hastening the return of Christ, not thinking about matters spiritually, but only carnally. And then God lets you experience certain situations where the Holy Spirit just brings it right to your face. It's like a Nathan just runs up to you. He says, you ain't been with the Lord today. Jesus says, one thing's necessary, being with him. And then that brings us to to our next point. Jesus wants us to appreciate not only that it's necessary, but the quality of what's going to happen, what we're choosing. We're choosing the good thing. It's the good thing. We have a good God who commands us to do good things. The quality of Christ. But before we can talk about right devotion and right choosing as believers, that assumes that the soul has come to Christ, right, for the soul's sake, that they have fled to Christ away from the wrath of God, that they have found in Christ more treasure than is in the whole world. Certainly, the only souls that can improve their devotion to Jesus are those who have already been saved by him. The only people who can improve their love towards Jesus have already been changed by his love towards them. In our sin, we are just totally backwards, Right? We're wrong. So wrong, we're dead. Dead to God. We're dead wrong. Dead to God. And we would rather worship and serve. One thing the Bible tells us it looks like is we would rather worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. But Christ, Christ comes and saves us. He changes us. He gives us that that heart surgery. So that we feel different, we see different, we live different. Uh, The Lord Jesus comes and and he dies for our sins. Uh, The Lord himself, he he suffered on the cross in our place. He took our sin and our shame. He took the death that we each deserve for our sin and and he triumphed over them in his resurrection. Uh, Not only, not only defeating them all, but he, he rose to not only make us right with God positionally, but to live rightly towards God. He secured our devotion. The grace of God causes people to see things they formerly couldn't see. And that the, 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 the canopy over it all is that they see the goodness of God. That's how Peter describes those who have engaged the gospel, who have received the gospel. They've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. 
The grace of God causes people to see Jesus as good, as the good Savior, indeed the only Savior of mankind. The grace of God causes people to see their sin for the evil that it is. That sin is deeply wicked. That God's wrath is completely right. That hell is actually deserved and warranted. The cross is our only hope in that Jesus and he alone is immeasurably good. It gives us gospel affections. Someone cannot choose when they don't have the power to choose. They must repent. They must leave sin and believe on the Lord, which is impossible aside from the Lord's power. But he grants power to come alive. But this passage is not understood to be talking salvation. This is not the choosing of salvation. This is the kind of choosing that only happens to people who have been saved. And it's just, it's just good for us to remember, just because we're saved does not mean we love Jesus like we should or as much as we could. You can love Jesus more. You used to cannot love Jesus at all. Now you love him, but listen, you can love him even more. And here we have these two sisters, one who is rightly devoted, one who is wrongly devoted. And it's written down for us to examine ourselves and improve our own devotion to leave away from the ways of Martha, become further aligned in the likeness of Mary, more rightly devoted to Jesus. Jesus commends her posture towards him, saying her actions are those of one who has chosen the good portion. It's a decision. It's a picking She's deciding something. She understands not only the necessity of Christ, but the quality of Christ. If I put before you a hot dog and a 16-ounce steak, I will choose the good portion. Well, here, Martha's picking between serving and being close to Jesus. She's eating the hot dogs. Jesus is now, Mary, Mary, Mary did her math different. Mary's appraisal system is different. She's evaluated something that's correct, that Martha is missing. She, she's picked the good stuff, the good thing. And that's him. He's good. He's the good portion. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. He's good, and we, we have a, a few reasons, not exhaustive list here, but a few reasons on how we know he's so good. He, he's the bringer of good news. Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. He's so good that when he showed up on the scene, we're told that goodness shows up. When Jesus showed up, goodness shows up. This is how it's written in Titus. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Jesus shows up and goodness shows up. He's so good that those who have believed on him are, have said to discern this quality. All the saints know that he's good. They've, and not just like they've heard that he's good, they've experienced his goodness. Every Christian can testify, I've tasted, I've seen. He's the good one. 
Not a good one among other good ones. He's the good one. How could we not draw near to him? He's not just the bringer of good news. He's the doer of good works. Right? He, he loves his enemies and he does good to them. The psalm says that the Lord does good to all. Psalm 145, 9. Luke 153, he has filled the hungry with good things. All of his works are good. All of his decisions, all of his demands, all of his purposes, they're all good. Good in their conception, good in their execution, and good in their conclusions. He sustains his people with goodness. Psalm 107, 9, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. He pursues us all with his goodness. Uh, this is one of our favorite lines in that shepherd psalm, right? Oh, goodness and mercy, follow me. All the days of our life, we're encouraged not only to know it now, but also to expect his goodness later. He's been good, he is good, he's doing good, and will do good. He's good and his people are supposed to expect more goodness to come. Once that's why we pray, because he, he, he deals with us in his goodness in accordance with our prayers. The Lord who sustains us with his goodness, who pursues us with his goodness, is so acting, so working, that all the details of our lives as his people culminate in a crown of goodness as we stand forever in a state of goodness. Because for those he has called according to his purposes, we know that for those who love him, all things work together for their good. Indeed, this is the whole of our sanctification. Our whole sanctification is a good work of the Lord. This is why Philippians says, I'm service. He who did not just begin a work, but he began a good work. And he will bring that good work to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So how could we not draw near to him? But he's not just the doer of good works, but he's the good teacher. Mary was listening to his teaching because the good teacher was there. His book has rightly been called the good book. Do you have any counsel that rivals his? Any instruction that's comparable to his? Any training in righteousness like his? Surely no man speaks like this man. Romans 7, 12, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. His will is good, the will of God. We're told that in living it out, we can be tested and we can show that his will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Hebrews 6, 5, that, that the goodness of the word of God. No one teaches better than Jesus. No one's teachings are better than Jesus. He's the good teacher. Or how can we not draw near to him? Not only is he the good teacher, though, He's the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What a satisfied saint. He makes them to lie down in green pastures. That's good food. He leads them beside the still waters. That's good terrain. He restores our souls. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's the good way. 
And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Oh, even when it's bad, it's still good. He's the good shepherd, and we're told that this good shepherd even is so good that he would sacrifice himself for his flock. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for this sheep. This is the shepherd who leads you, who feeds you, who provides for you, who directs you, who protects you, who anoints that head with so much oil, so much goodness, it's overflowing and abundant, who lays down his life for our sake. Oh, how could we not want to draw nearer to him? This good God is the saint's good portion. Have you chosen the good portion? Many, many think you need a high-paying job or a prestigious education or an education, that that's how you live the good life, or to live stress-free or debt-free. Many think you need the right relationship with Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Some think you need to have the right housing or the right spousing. You don't need a bigger church. You don't need more influence. You don't need a book deal. You don't need a nice building. You don't need a building. Listen, none of these things are necessary. If you don't got it, you don't need it. How often are we belittling what we do have based on what we don't? Oh, that we could say and know the experience from the depths of our soul, right? This experiential satisfaction in the regular receiving from choosing the good portion. And knowing what we have will never be taken away from this. There are many things we want. There's only one thing we need, and that's being with Jesus. And listen, you can do that right now. You can do that everywhere. Oh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is now one of the, 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 the primary effects is that we get to be with God everywhere because God's with us everywhere. One thing that's necessary, and that's to commune with Jesus. He's the one thing needed, and him is all you need. Mary said what the psalmist said and what we all who know him say, for me, it is good to be near God. And look what Jesus promises Mary. And through her, all of us who have rightly esteemed him, that good portion will never be taken from you. In Psalm 73, we're told that the Lord is our portion forever. We get to have Christ forever. Beloved, it's because we get to have Christ forever, we get to enjoy him now. He himself is the end of it all. He's the, that's, that's our revelation end. The son doesn't have a job anymore. Because he's there. The saints don't have longings anymore because he's there. What's the source of the full joy and the pleasures forevermore? It's in his presence. It's where he is. He's not the path to something different. He's not the path to something greater. He's the source. He's what it all points to. He's the fulfillment. He himself, he's the end. He's what we get to have. 
He's who we have now. He's what we get to enjoy now. May we as individuals and may we enjoy in our churches this kind of vibrant devotion to Jesus. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if saints liked staying at service longer than an hour and a half? I'm not just saying that because I preach really long. But you, you want that. You want the saints to not leave, not because you're a good preacher. No one preaches that well. Spurgeon said if you preach over 45 minutes, either you're an angel or your congregation is filled with them. And I appreciate that, kind of. I will, but we just want to be with Jesus, though. We're happy to linger and be with Jesus. We want to pray together because we love being with Jesus. We want to sing together. We love being with Jesus. Keep giving us the word. Please make it helpful and useful, but we want to be with Jesus. And I think sometimes our Sundays are kind of shaped as if you kind of do the religious thing and then go on to your other thing. No, 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 no. Being with him, that's the thing. The thing is being with him. So if you leave it, I'm hoping you're leaving and keep being with him. Oh, that we would love to pray. Would our prayer meetings be packed? Not because we did the sermon series on prayer that week, but because... The saints love abiding with him. Would our prayer closets be frequently attended? Would we have those habits of habits of hearty prayer? Hearty prayer. You see, it's what the Lord Jesus, he practices what he preached. <laughs> no one was more busy than Jesus. And it's rare to find someone who prays like Jesus. Cities come into his house. You've never had the whole church come to your house. Maybe you have. Y'all got big houses out here. But Jesus, he would withdraw to pray. When's the last time anyone in your church has just prayed all through the night like Jesus? We should expect nothing less. No one was more holy than Jesus. No one knew how good his father was more than Jesus. So no one talked to his father more than Jesus. Would we all be ever appealing from the soul, nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee? For he alone is the lasting possession of his people. Your stuff may be taken away from you. Your family may be taken away from you. Your health may be taken away from you. Your church may be taken away from you. Your life may be taken away from you. Your title may be taken away from you. Your friends may be taken away from you. Your popularity may be taken away from you. The full use of your mind may be taken away from you. The full use of your body taken away from you, but never your Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us such a good portion that we get the inheritance of the Levites. And we say, truly, 
the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. We have a beautiful inheritance. Lord, would you help this to move us to choose Christ more regularly, devotedly, in love? It's in his name we pray.